welcome back. Time to grab your boards, swim out into that sea of ideas here and see if you can't uh, catch a wave as it starts to uh, appear over the horizon with the man who spots them earlier than anybody else does, Matt Hines. Well, I'm just another guy sitting on a wave, sitting on a board, <laughs> trying to figure out which wave's the right wave. To, <laughs> yeah, to right. And, it's, and you never know, right? I mean, my wife is from North County, San Diego. And, yeah. Uh, I am not a surfer myself. I have a hard time staying balanced on a sidewalk <laughs> most days. But I, I watch all these surfers out there and... The waves all look the same to me, and yeah. some of them they start to paddle and they go, no, feel. no, that's not it. Uh, that's not the one. Uh, this is the one that's going to crest and break perfectly here. Yeah. Well, we have been as far as ways you can get, I think, from waves up here in Seattle this week. <laughs> so we we've had a snow, and so for, for most snow. listeners, Ooh. yeah, right. So most listeners that are that are joining us from the majority of the United States, right? I mean, they laugh at us this time of year. At our house, we had maybe three or four inches of snow, right? And some areas had a lot more. You know, downtown Seattle didn't have much. When it snows in Seattle, and it happens every year, like people freak out, oh, and, it, and people don't know how to drive in the snow, which means they get out in the snow thinking they can drive in the snow. And this is exacerbated by the fact that, like, we have no snow plows here. Like, if you're in Denver, Detroit, <laughs> yeah, Minneapolis, right, right, you have all the equipment. I'm convinced that, like, Seattle has one snow plow <laughs> and shares it with Portland. Because I, I guess this week the plow was somewhere down in Lake Oswego down yeah, where our guest was. Yeah, exactly. We, the, there was no, it was a, it was, it was no thankfully round. it is thawing out. I am out of the home off. I remember years ago, we, we don't get any snow here in Southern California once in a hundred years for two seconds. If you drive out of LA, you go up in elevation into what they call the higher desert. So it does get some snow occasionally up there and like Lancaster and stuff. I was up there driving through and I got caught in one of these little quick snowstorms and I actually saw somebody in a, you know, whatever, a little puddle of snow there and I could see the front wheels locked and the back wheel spinning as fast as they could. They must have had their foot on the brake and the gas at the same time here in panic trying to figure out what to do to move forward in this this strange world of snow here. That driving strategy actually makes me understand Seattle drivers <laughs> in the snow so much more. I think it's exactly what many of them You just hit anyway. both pedals at once as hard as you can and see what happens here. I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, all right, well, enough of that. Thank you so much for joining us. On another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio, we're so pleased that you're joining us. For those of you joining us on the live on the Funnel Media Radio Network, yes, we will talk about sales and marketing here in a second. For those of you joining us on the podcast, thank you again so much for joining us. Our numbers continue to climb in listenership. So humbled uh, and excited to see those numbers. I think I mentioned our last episode, our 2019 listenership exceeded listenership from the first three years combined. So really excited to see the continued growth in our listeners. And if you want to check out some of those past episodes, every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio is always available past, present, and future at salespipelineradio.com. Every week we're featuring some of the best and brightest minds in B2B sales and marketing. Today is absolutely no different. Joining us from outside of Portland, Oregon, the author of the new book, Top Sales Leader Playbook, How to Win 5X Deals Repeatedly, and someone who has spent time in Southern California. We can talk about that as well. Lisa Magnuson. Lisa, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Matt. I, I can tell you that Snowplow is not here in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> Do we share it with the third city? Have we been lied to this whole time? It's stuck in between because we're trying to get to Maui to get onto some of those big waves you're talking about. Well, Maui sounds a lot better than what we've had this week, regardless of whether you got to get out there. I was uh, home with, you know, our kids were off school yesterday, and today everything's pretty much thawed out, but the street in front of our house was just a sheet of ice. In a lot of markets, you know, they, they have sand. You know, they try to make uh, stuff passable, but here we just don't have that. 
No, we don't. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about selling. It's, I still think of it as the beginning of 2020. I know we're here into the second full week of Q1 of January of 2020. I, if I see someone or talk to someone for the first time, I figure I can still say Happy New Year if it's the first <laughs> time I've talked to them or if it's before the Super Bowl. One of those two things has happened. But you know, it's especially an exciting and terrifying time for people that are selling, right? I mean, I think you know, no matter what you did last month, last quarter, everyone starts at zero again. So we're here at the beginning of 2020. What should sales professionals be thinking about and prioritizing as they stare at the quarter in the year ahead of them? Matt, one of the things that they absolutely are thinking about is that pipeline. But most importantly, inside that pipeline, they're thinking about what are their biggest opportunities? Because the smart sellers know that if they identify a couple of really big accounts, I call them 5X accounts, five worth about five times their average deal. If they identify a couple of those and really work them, diligently work them, they will get those in 2020 and it'll be a game changer for their year. Now, your book, uh, Top Sales Leader Playbook, really talks about these 5X deals. One of the reasons, uh, one of many reasons I was excited to have you on the show is that element of sales pipeline building, where a lot of people think about, okay, I've got X amount of dollars in the pipeline, I've got X number of deals in the pipeline. And as I'm reading through your book, I mean, it just, it just struck me as like, this seems fundamental, but not something that not a lot of people think enough about is the deal size that represents not only your ability to hit your quota faster, but also make more money and be a lot closer to President's Club earlier in the year. Talk a little bit about the 5X and what why that's so important. Well, 5X is just a general sort of rule of thumb, but it really, I think, kind of nails the much bigger than your average deal size. And, and why it's important is because you have to do things differently. You you can't do exactly the same thing for a 5X deal and get that deal than you do for just your regular transactions, you know, your average transaction size. So if you're going to have a couple of those whale deals, as my good friend and colleague Barbara Weaver-Smith calls them, you've got to do things differently, and it's going to take more time, and it's going to be complex, and it's going to be a little messy. But if you put your stake in the ground now, you can get those in 2020. I mean, just with my experience in the field with my clients, the average is about nine months. We can have the start to the year be all the way through the first quarter when we're thinking about those big deals. Yeah, and there's no question that the bigger the deal, the more complex the deal, the longer it takes to close, the more important those relationships are. I mean, your last book, The Top Seller Advantage, talked a lot about the importance and then the strategies for building those long-term executive relationships. So, you know, if you're trying to get those deals, obviously, the the more time you've had to build those, the better. But let's say you just started a new job. Let's say you were just assigned a new set of named accounts. You just you know, you were handed a new territory or a new industry to work. So you yourself are really working from scratch. What can sellers do to accelerate some of that relationship building to sort of really build a foundation for those larger deals? There's a couple of things they can do. One is they can sort of be alert to the deals that are potentially bigger. They can ask a couple of extra questions early in the sales process, you know, maybe even in the qualify stage where they ask about, do you have other divisions with this, would the product or service we're talking about be replicable throughout your organization? They can ask a couple questions to sort of identify, is this a bigger deal? And if it is a bigger deal, then they want to pull that account team together and their internal account team because the account team has got to start from the very beginning when that big opportunity, that 5X opportunity is spotted, the account team should get to work. 
and they should get to work quickly and consistently so they can develop that deal and ultimately close that deal. And as you said, it involves lots of relationships and the number of relationships are just growing and growing and growing. Usually one of those relationships is an executive sponsor. You can't just pick up the phone and call those people and, oh, sure, I have time on my calendar tomorrow. <laughs> right. That just doesn't happen. No. <laughs> so you've got to plan ahead, and it's hard work. But if you really did a good job of spotting and kind of qualifying, it's every bit worth the work that needs to go into it. Talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Lisa Magnuson. She is uh, with Top Line Sales and the author of the new book, The Top Sales Leader, Playbook, How to Win 5X Deals Repeatedly. And we're talking about sort of the the importance of relationships in selling. And I think that, um, you know, my dad sold Caterpillar tractors for 35 years, and he was a big relationship seller. He imparted that to me, you know directly and indirectly the entire time I watched him watched him work. And it seems recently, even though the relationships are still critical, there's a lot more focus on things like the challenger sale and challenging someone's status quo and being memorable versus agreeable. It doesn't seem like, it seems like in some camps, there's a, well, relationships don't matter as much anymore. Just make the case and challenge their status quo and you'll be fine. But it seems like those two things could be symbiotic. How do you think about sort of the relate difference between the relationship selling strategy and the challenger sale? To me, the short answer is one size does not fit all when it comes to relationships. And we all know that from our personal lives and our business lives as we go out there prospecting and as we take care of our customers, including our biggest customers. The difference with really big deals is you're going to be a little more purposeful about it and you're going to be a little more systematic. When you identify that 5X deal, one of the things the account teams is going to do is they're going to map the relationship and they're going to map the relationship that you have and the relationships that you need. So most account teams together can figure out what those are. What are those relationships that you don't have today that you need? It might be an executive sponsor. It might be a stakeholder that you've never worked with before. It could be an internal champion. Maybe you don't have that person that's really on your side telling you what's happening inside of the account, telling you about the political changes, the shifts, what's coming, how people are perceiving your product or service, all of that. The account team is going to really build that relationship map so that you don't leave it to chance. And in terms of how do you develop those relationships? Some people will respond to sort of a challenge, you know, challenge their thinking, bring ideas to the table and, and whatnot. And people are going to respond to sort of a different type of approach. But that's one of the things when you map out the relationships that are needed is you talk about that. What is the persona of this person and what is the best way for us to approach them? What is the best way for us to develop that relationship? We're going to take a quick break here. I know we got a lot more questions. I've got a lot more questions for Lisa, but we got to take a break, pay some bills. We'll be right back. We're going to talk a little more about relationship building, thinking about the executive sponsor, decision makers, the buying committee, as well as how marketing can support this process as well. We'll be right back on Sales Pipeline Radio. CMOs and marketing leaders have the increasingly complex task of effectively communicating marketing's value to their CEO and board. And as today's markets face growing uncertainties, the need for clear, consistent, and predictable communication will only continue to grow. How do they do it? Read the new research report on marketing's role in the boardroom from Drift, G2, and Heinz Marketing. Get it now at drift.com alignment. 
That's drift, D-R-I-F-T dot com slash alignment. Okay, just what we're talking about here. Let's get back to Matt and his guest. Can I ask one little quick question here? Of course. We had a show earlier today, and somebody threw out a provocative statistic. I can't tell you exactly what it was or where they got it. It was somebody like Forrester said something like, in the next 10 years, 20 years, a third of sales, not just toaster sales or product sales, but company sales, bigger sales, are going to be without a human involved. They're just going to order it. Is that really a threat that's coming? And, and will we ever just not need relationships? We'll just need a good uh, a good sales site here? I've got some thoughts on that, but I'd love to get our guest Lisa Magnuson to answer that first. Lisa, what are your thoughts? I mean, we see this question come up. Is selling dead? Is the Amazon impact happening to everything, including B2B? What are your thoughts on that? Well, coming from a big deal perspective, I think it's highly unlikely that the entire sort of buying of a something large is going to happen without a sales team. The sales team might look different. They might be comprised of more subject matter experts. Maybe that's what will be more valued as we go forward. But I can't believe there's not going to be that account team involved with any sort of large transaction because there's too much risk associated on both sides, on the company side, the provider side, and also the, the client side. The things that have to be worked through and discussed and addressed. But having said that, very first time in my career, I was talking to one of my clients, and they actually closed a million-dollar deal over the phone. wasn't without salespeople, but there was no in-person meetings. And that's the first time I heard that, and they shared that with me recently. So I thought that was interesting. I think that's right. I think there's going to be examples of things where people do either do a lot more of the research and consideration themselves or there's always going to be cases of people to decide to buy online. I think it's ridiculous to buy a house sight unseen, uh, but I, people do it. And so Thank I you. think there's there are going to be examples of that all over the place. I think as sellers, if we sit back and just wait for prospects to just do their thing, I think that that's just a bad sales strategy yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our ability to sort of build those relationships, be a trusted expert, be someone that prospects know that they can come to for education without necessarily getting sold to every second, to help those prospects understand the cost of a problem they did or didn't know themselves, and to be a subject matter expert in an area that your prospects, by definition, don't know as well as you do, is a huge advantage. And I don't think that that is going away, and I think you're right, Lisa, I think for those more complex sales, those bigger considered purchases, that's going to be around for a while. I wanted to get back to the the relationship selling component we were talking about before. We're talking today on Sales Platform Radio with Lisa Magnuson uh, with Top Line Sales. She is the, also the author of numerous books, including the more recent Top Sales Leader Playbook, How to Win 5X Deals Repeatedly. And there was a sales book that you've probably read as well. It's called Selling to Vito. And Vito is an acronym for very important <laughs> top officer. And there's plenty of folks yes. that say, hey, listen, just get to the senior guy and that's how you're going to get deals. How do you think about sort of that executive sponsor, that very important top officer relative to the rest of the, so to speak, buying committee, other people in the organization that are going to have some impact or have some vested interest in the problem being solved? But where are the relationships that you should be building? There's usually a lot of relationships and you've got to identify those and work really hard. But when you're talking about that C-suite sponsor, that senior leader sponsor, that is a critical relationship. And when you're talking big deals, almost always you need to have that person. If you don't have that person, you could spend a lot of time and at the end you can get thwarted. 
And I certainly have seen that happen. The difference I think today is, and my whole book, The Top Seller Advantage, Powerful Strategies to Build Long-Term Executive Relationships is about the difference. What is needed today is not a once-and-done approach to executives. I mean, how many times have you been part of an account team where all this work goes into getting an executive meeting and maybe two or three representatives of the company get to go and and be part of that meeting, and after they're like, that was a great meeting. I mean, literally, (laughs) I've never been part of one where that didn't happen. And it was great because... You got to sit in front of that executive and sure, you know, the account executive is going to follow up with a thank you and, and that kind of thing. But then nothing. The team doesn't know how. They didn't talk about. They don't know how to cultivate that executive relationship over time. So you flash forward a year or two and that account team comes back together because there's another opportunity in the same account. And they need to get that to that executive again. And they got to start from scratch. The executive doesn't remember that call that they thought was so great. It was just a meeting to them, one of thousands of meetings that they have. But if the account team can really sort of cultivate that executive over time in an appropriate way, then they're going to enjoy access to that executive. Now, maybe that access is only once or twice a year. That's okay. But now you're going to really benefit from the vision, the understanding of the priorities of that executive. Maybe you need that executive to clear out some hurdles. Actually, I'm one of the sales experts on the Bright Talk channel, and that was the topic of my webinar yesterday, was uh, how-tos as it relates to executive engagement over time. That's just a few more minutes here with Lisa Magnuson. A couple more questions I want to ask you. We're talking mostly about what sales professionals can do to really leverage relationships and to build that 5X pipeline, go after those bigger deals. What can marketing do to help? I think that when it comes to lead generation, the research I've seen says that the larger the deal, the more likely that opportunity is created or sourced from sales. But it seems like marketing can still play a role to help create velocity and viscosity in this process as well. What are some of the best marketing strategies and tactics you've seen delivered in this context? The very best companies, and I talk about this in my sales leader playbook, are the ones that really understand that if you want to have an engine that goes after these big deals, you have to sort of set up a whole infrastructure. And part of that infrastructure is developing collaborative relationships inside your organization. And one of the most important relationships and collaboration that you can develop is with marketing. Most of the account teams that I participate with on behalf of my clients have a marketing representative there. And that person, the reason why I say most important, because there's a lots of important, there's professional services, there's inside sales, there's all these other, you know, typical groups that are part of the account team, but the marketing person that participates, that person brings a whole different perspective an entire different perspective. So it's not unusual. And I remember a war room meeting that I was in just recently uh, with a client going after a big opportunity and marketing was there. And they were saying things like, we did this analysis and that might be really valuable to the customer. We could customize it for the customer. You could bring that into your review with the customer. Things like that, that really make a difference. Those kinds of suggestions always come from marketing. That's how they think. They think differently. They think about the markets. They think about trends. They think about analysis. They think about campaigns and and how they can apply to the client situation. And those are valuable ideas that customers want to hear about. You talk about the challenger approach. That's really differentiating yourself if you're the account executive and you're bringing some of those kinds of ideas and expertise to your prospect. 
game changer. So I'm a huge fan of marketing and having a marketing representation in those account war room meetings. Love it. Well, unfortunately, uh, as much as I've got a bunch more questions, we could probably continue this forever. We're going to run out of time here. <laughs> I want to thank again our guest today, Lisa Magnuson, for uh, joining us and for answering a bunch of great questions. Lisa, real quick before we have to wrap up, what's the best place for people to go to learn more about you and to get uh, get a copy of your book? They can go to my website, www.toplinesales.com. They can click through to Amazon on, on all my books. They can get some free. They can get a pre-call planning tool, which is awesome uh, for free. They can access some of my Bright Talk webinars, tons of stuff. I just redid my website last year, so it's super current. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you for that. We will put those links in the show notes. If you'd like to uh, re-listen to this episode or share it with some of the other people in your team, including your sales counterparts and sales and marketing groups, you can find this up on salespoponradio.com in a couple days, and we'll have a transcript summary of this conversation with Lisa Magnuson up on heinzmarketing.com shortly. Thank you for my 25-minute break from shoveling snow and salting the sidewalk. i got to get back to work. But thank you uh, on behalf of my great producer, Paul. This is Matt Hines. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. And with that, we wrap up another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio right here on the Funnel Radio channel for at-work listeners like you.